Um, today we're starting Tahara. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday, um, we, we're in the section of Chasidut, and we are moving from uh, Prishut, which deals with the negative side, how we deal with negative elements uh, in our Chasidut ways, to uh, Chasidut, which is the positive. And in the middle, we have this subject, which is called Tahara, and, and we don't know where Tahara comes from. What's Tahara doing there? If this is meant to be Makbil, parallel to the chapters at the beginning of the Sefer, where we have Zahirutan's resort, we had nothing in between Zahirutan's resort, and therefore we are surprised that we don't go, or I am surprised that we don't go directly from uh, Prishut to Chasidut, which would seem to be following the same system that we followed at the very beginning. Um, and it takes a while to, I think, it took me a while to understand what Tahara is doing there. Uh, you have to remember now, and we have to remember all the time, uh, that we're getting further and further into the book, higher and higher uh, in our levels of Avodat Hashem. And here we're dealing with things not that we have to do, but, but things that we are doing uh, to give Kaviachon Nachat Ruach to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. With Prishut, it was also to go that stage further with ourselves, to take initiative in uh, controlling ourselves and, uh, and being aware of our weaknesses and so on and so forth. Now, Tahara is therefore uh, actually critical because what Tahara is dealing with is Kavana. It, it, it's coming to something, it, to, to deal with an issue that I suppose we ought to deal with more to today is that what defines a person is the definition of a person. Is a person simply defined by their actions or by the intent uh, behind their actions? Uh, the, the intent behind their actions would seeming to be not important. Isn't it important that I just do it? And, and comes along to Haran and says, no, specifically when you're talking about for the love of God, uh, and not in order to get something done because you were commanded to do it, then the, the quality of your intention is incredibly important. And therefore, he starts off chapter 16, Ramchal, by saying, It's dealing with uh, our heart and, and our thoughts. This is, uh, as I've said a number of times, the the hardest thing of all, Baal Shem Tov's Torah, is that a person, I know, I know it doesn't fit necessarily with, the, with modern day thought, and I know I've said this a number of times in Kotsk, and got some girls very, very confused, but Baal Shem Tov's Torah and, and Kotsk, I, I think, very much reflects this, and I certainly believe this, is, is that a person is defined by their thoughts. What, what does that mean? Because that, that's a complex statement, right? Because you say, what do you mean? I, I do my actions, and my actions define me. Uh, so I'm talking about the, the, tr- the, the true person. The sincerity of a person is, is defined by their thoughts. Uh, what do I mean to say? I, I mean to say as follows. Um, and I've said this before, so excuse me for repeating myself. If you're about to do an action, there are many, many reasons that will stop you from doing an action which isn't necessarily a good action. And most of those reasons aren't to do with your righteousness. They're to do with... Um, your worry of the ramifications of that action, of what people will think of you, of maybe going to jail, many, many different things that you will refrain from doing something because, and not because you fundamentally believe uh, that, that, that it's bad. No, that's not true. You, you, you are just a wise enough person, uh, 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 a sharp enough person to be aware 
and a controlled enough person to be aware of what will happen to you if you do X, Y, or Z, or what the possible ramifications of doing X, Y, or Z are. Uh, the same goes for speech. Speech we find a little harder uh, to control because, to be honest, the ramifications of speech are, are lesser than the ramifications of actions, but nonetheless, uh, the ramifications of speech are pretty serious, and therefore, it, w it will occur in, in our lives when we get ourselves into a mess through words that we've said, and slowly but surely, we will learn to control what we say, or if we don't learn uh, to control what we say, we will have to suffer the consequences of, of having a loose tongue. And therefore, it could be that I want to say something, it could be that, that I'm dying to say something, but I will refrain from doing so either because I don't want to, uh, the ramifications of, of whatever I say to happen to me in return. I don't want people to think of me in a certain way. But all of these things, just as with actions, are ulterior motives. They're, they're reasons why I, I won't do them, not because I don't want to do them, not that I don't believe that I want to do them, but simply because it, it's not good for me. It doesn't suit me practically to do them here and now. That is definitely not the case with thoughts. And therefore, again, on the premise that I'm a normal person and we are all pretty similar, uh, we tend to feel a certain freedom with our thoughts to think whatever we want to think simply because we are not sharing those thoughts with anyone else. No one is privy to our thoughts and therefore we feel undisturbed. We are not, we are not, uh, we are not in any way influenced uh, to think in a different way because of the ramifications of our thoughts because no one, except for God, of course, no one knows uh, what we're thinking and therefore... I, I can feel free to think what I want. No one is privy. Imagine the scenario where uh, our lives were like a comic strip and every time you thought something, a little balloon appeared upon, ab above your head with words in it. Uh, then we would either all walk around offended from each other or all walk around uh, eternally embarrassed by, by the comments, you know, when you, you can put on that very interested face when someone's speaking to you and you can be in a different place. You can sit in a class and look to be the most uh, incredibly intense student and you're really thinking about something else. You're bored out of your mind. A teacher can say to you, that's a very interesting question. What they really mean is that it's a dumb question. You've got no idea. The thought, because the thought is it's private. It's yours and yours alone. It's a complete thought. And from that perspective, I think a thought... Um, defines you. Uh, what you're thinking is who you are because it's really who you are. It's untouched by other people and what other people think and what other people are going to say or, or any punishment. You, you cannot yet in this world be punished for your thoughts. You cannot be taken to court for your thoughts. No one can prove your thoughts. In that way, your thoughts are very much who you are. Uh, I think, you know, when I, I'm looking at myself, and I suppose that's the most disturbing element of myself that I find, is, is that because there are ulterior motives involved, I can stop myself from doing an action. I can stop myself from saying something. I'm sure, like me, uh, you know you cannot stop having a thought. You can stop having a thought once you've had it. You can try and put it out your mind. You can use different games to try and uh, to move your, your mindset into a different area. But the initial thought happens, and only once it happens can you stop it. Uh, my feeling, I cannot prove this, it's just my feeling, is that you, you, you are a changed person, not because you've grown a beard, and not because you have payas, and not because you have long sitsid, also not because you're wearing longer sleeves or you're dressing in a certain mode. You're a changed person 
when you're thinking differently, when you're not having those thoughts to start with, that means the quality of who you are has actually changed when a thought does not come to your mind. Um, as I said, we're all very, very good at dressing up and, uh, and walking the walk and talking the talk, uh, but that doesn't mean that we are changed people. Uh, very often people appear to be changed and uh, they can fool us, they can fool themselves even sometimes. They cannot fool God, of course. Uh, and again, if the thoughts are the same thoughts, then essentially everything that has happened is, is, really, is really on the outside and not on the inside. And therefore, if, I, if I'm going into this chapter, it, it makes a lot of sense with that introduction that, that when we're dealing with Hasidut, Taharat Halev, the purity of the heart is, is extremely important. Ve'inyana, what does this mean? Shelo yaniach adam makom liyetzer b'maasav le'yu kol maasav al tzad ha'chokma v'hayira v'lo al tzad ha'chet v'hatava. V'zeh afilu b'maasim ha'gufanim v'chomrim. He says our physical actions should be done with the right intention. They should be done for the right reasons, uh, with the right motivation and... Um, he says, "Adain yitzarech lo tahel avavom achshvato shigam b'oto hamata shehu lokech lo yechavein el hanav atava klal." Meaning, uh, and again, this is going to shock you because again, we're we're not really on the madrega of chapter sixteen of uh, of Midas Mesilat Shai. But when you eat, uh, you're not eating in order to enjoy the food. You're not eating because this is your favorite food. You're eating to gain the energy to serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu. You are living, as we're going to say, not too long. Uh, time and on, on Rosh Hashanah and Aserit Me Teshuva, Kotvenu Lechayim, write us in the book of life, Lema'an Elohim Chayim, in order to serve you, God. We are alive to serve God, and therefore, all of the things that we are doing, or sensibly, if we're moving into the realms of being a, a Chassid, we're doing for the sake of God and for, not, for no other reason whatsoever. That what you're doing is essentially uh, in order to serve Hakadosh Baruch And so, with mitzvot as well, we need we need the right kavanot. We need the, the, the right kavanot for, for, uh, to, um, to do things for the right reason. And therefore you have, remember, lishma v'shelolishma. Now there are different, now, now everyone quotes you immediately, mitok shelolishma ba'lishma. So he's very quick to point out there are different shelolishmas. There are evil shelolishmas. There are evil shelolishmas when people are taking a position, taking a role, um, pre- pretending to do something for kabod, for money, for connections, and, and they simply don't mean it. They, they simply don't believe in it. Everything is, 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 is for their personal needs, and that's reshu'ut. There's other shelo lishma, which, which, can be, which can come to be lishma, is when at the moment you don't have the ideal kavanot, but in time, if you keep doing it, you will have the right covenant. I think this is necessary, right? He, he points out here, he, he, he points out and he goes at great lengths to point out Ramchal. He, he understands how difficult this is and he doesn't want people to say, well, I can't do it in a perfect way, so I won't do it at all. He says, no, no, that there is an incredible value to doing something imperfectly uh, as long as you are going in the right direction. You just have to know that the, the, the 
one is only ultimately accepted on the altar if it is in a perfect, perfect condition. And that should be our aim, that our, our acts are acts of perfection. And, and, and the thoughts are, are perfect thoughts. Uh, and, and from that aspect, Shalolishma can lead to Lishma, is that Shalolishma is it has an element of Lishma in it, but it, it's an imperfect Lishma. And, and that goes without saying, right, that you, you can't simply sit on the couch and wait and, uh, and assume that the perfect scenario is, is eventually going to come. It won't come automatically, and if you don't uh, have some kind of consistency in action, there's not a chance. If you think about tefillah, for example, so people say, I'll daven when I have kavana. If you say that, you'll never ever daven. It's as simple as that. You will never ever daven. And when you do daven, you won't have kavana, right? The only reason uh, we have an iota of kavana when we get to Yamim Nuraim is because we've prepared ourselves with slichot for, for if, if we're svadim for, for a month, if we're Ashkenazim for, for quite a number of days before Rosh Hashanah, depending on where Rosh Hashanah falls. And we've been preparing ourselves. And, and, and so by the time you come to the the real central tefillot of Rosh Hashanah, you are in a mode, and, and being in the mode helps you perhaps upgrade to a better mode. Same goes for Yom Kippur, right? You can't turn up for Yom Kippur davening, even Midrashah Yom Kippur davening, if you haven't prepared yourself at all. And that's why after we decided to, to uh, a few years after we decided to do Yom Kippur in the Midrashah, to have a tefillah in the Midrashah, we also decided to start, start doing slichot. The slichot we started to do as a preparation for Yom Kippur. Now the preparation is, is, is taltamash. There are two elements of preparation there. Number one was that girls would know Anusuk, right? You know, practical preparation. The girls would know the kind of truths we sing, Shema Koleinu, uh, Hashiveinu, uh, the, the various different Nuschaot, because Jeremy normally leads uh, the slichot and then he leads a lot of the Davni on Yom Kippur. Uh, and therefore people will be prepared um, in a practical term, but it's not just that. <coughs> it's the when you're doing it on Yom Kippur, it's not for the first time. Uh, and therefore you're used to it, and therefore when you're used to something, you, you, you do it more intensely, <coughs> and you do it more properly. <coughs> that's, that, that's what happens, right? That when it, it, It's a difference, by the way, if you'll excuse me, between Shana Aleph and, and Shana Bet. Uh, when you do Shana Aleph, even if you're the best of students, so everything you do, you do for a first time. And therefore, by the time <coughs> you've been able to take in what you're actually doing, by the time the experience is over, right? You're going to Tzfat. You've never been to Tzfat before. Uh, and uh, so by the time you start to appreciate Sfat, you're on the bus home. You go to Sfat a second time, you know what to expect, you know what the gift wrapping is, now you've got time to think about it further. That's the advantage I think I have over the amount of times I've been to Poland compared to my average students who've been to Poland once, right? They, they've been once, now you go to Lupachova once, yeah, you're overwhelmed by Lupachova, overwhelmed by Maidanic, but by the time you start to process an iota of what you've just seen or what heard, you're, you're on the bus. If you've been there 20 times, 25 times, then you know what there's going to be there. You know what the rooms look like. You know what the path is. You know the, the different stations you're going to make. And so you can consider on a much, on a much more uh, truthful uh, and realistic uh, basis. Uh, I think the same goes for almost anything, right? The, 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 the more you do it, the more likely you are to do it better and, and to do it with more with more kavana, and therefore there is a low lishma that will give lishma, and, and by doing it each time, trying to do it more perfectly, uh, the shalol lishma that is negated totally by chazal is a shalol lishma that is there 
in order for me to get uh, to get uh, honor or glory and uh, and so this is a very very important chapter in in uh, in, uh, in in our book the, the chapter is dealing with tahara and and what makes something tahor? You think if you think about it in terms of, of fruit juice, a pure fruit juice. When when someone's selling a, a food which is pure, there's no additive at all. There's there's no preservative. There's no anything added. It's absolutely pure, and that makes it perfect. Um, and there are other juices that are a bit more diluted here, there, and everywhere. Uh, so it, it makes sure. And I want I I, I want to make my life a better life, a more qualitative life. That, that what I'm thinking and the motivation behind what I am doing becomes better and better. Now, of course, when we start dealing with our thoughts, I think the challenge has been multiplied eternally, I don't know, infinitely in, in our times. Uh, people's thoughts, I often have this discussion with students when we talk about what is pshat. And, you know, when, when a girl is reading a pasuk and she says... This isn't pshat. And I ask her, well, what, what exactly do you mean when you say this isn't pshat? Because when you read any book, the Havdil, uh, and depending on the, uh, on the talent of the author, uh, you start to imagine a certain picture. Uh, again, dependent on the author's ability to describe and the use of language of the book, if it's Dickens' multiple and deep uh, descriptions, um, and then you start to have a thought in your mind. When you imagine today, meaning when you're reading Psukim today, about a place and a time that, to be honest, we have no recognition of. We, we all come from Western countries. Uh, even those of you who come from South Africa come from a Western South Africa, not from the, the African villages. Uh, and we don't have any experience of Arab culture. We have no experience of African culture. You know, Egypt is North Africa, African culture. And we're reading about stories in Mitzrayim, reading about stories in, in the Middle East without any, any recognition, awareness of the real culture. And then we're all coming from Western families, None of us have lived in a house where the father is married to two women. None of us have lived in a house really where, where there are slaves and, 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 and 12 children or more. None of us have lived in that environment. None of us have lived in a tent. Uh, and, and, and therefore, when we read Psukim, what pictures do we have in my mind? What, 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 where do the pictures come from? Where do the pictures come from? I come from a place called Edgware. Uh, on the periphery of London, uh, never saw a camel until I came to Israel, never ridden on a camel because it never interested me, certainly never fed a camel, um, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So when I'm reading the Psukim, how do I get a picture in my mind? The Torah is not, Baruch Hashem, it's not Dickens. The Torah doesn't, isn't a descriptive to that degree, uh, Sefer. So how do I get the picture in my mind? Uh, I'm afraid, and this is where I'm leading to now, I'm afraid that, that many of the pictures that come in my mind are based on various movies I've seen. Uh, and, uh, and, and therefore, when I decide something is pshat or, or, or not pshat in Torah, it can be, to a large degree, based on my imagination, which is based on some Hollywood director, which could be 
correct or could be incorrect. But, but to turn around and say, this isn't Pshat, this is Pshat, it's based on my mind. Now, now I don't want to give you a share now in, in what Pshat is and what Pshat isn't, but, but what I'm trying to say to you is as follows, is our, our minds are full of garbage. Our minds are full of garbage. Uh, unless we have been lucky enough to be brought up in a very, very, very pure environment where we were not exposed to television, to film, to non-Jewish music, to internet, uh, to, to all of these things, to Facebook, to Instagram, to Snapchat, to whatever you want to call it. To, how can our minds possibly be pure? There's so much rubbish in our minds. And therefore, th- this challenge for us, right, to get to this chapter is enormous, right? When I, when the, you know, people say they haven't got kavana. How, how is it possible for a Western modern Jew to even reach that connection with our Kodesh Baruch Hu when our minds are full of so much garbage uh, and our thoughts are full of so much garbage? Uh, and uh, as I say, you know, you, 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 you take a film, and I will take a film here, which you know I would probably give as an example. You take a film like Schindler's List, Schindler's List, I think, was an incredible film of Holocaust education. Uh, I think Spielberg did an incredible service to the Jewish people, to Jewish history, and, and to the world by, by bringing up sugyas uh, of the Holocaust on, on a modern screen in, in a very, very special, uh, horrific but special way, in a way that I think no, no other director of Holocaust movies ever did before. Uh, in in order to portray something in that film, uh, he was trying to portray Amon Gert. Oscar Schindler is very well known to have been a womanizer, out of control with regards to the opposite sex, totally out of control. Uh, he had a sadikus of a wife who, who left him after the war because he was just out of control. And Amon Gert, who was the uh, imach shemal, who was, a, who was a, the cruel, sadistic uh, uh, commandant of uh, Plajov, of the concentration camp just outside or on the periphery of, uh, of, of Krakow. In order to portray these people as womanizers, so Steven Spielberg, I suppose any Hollywood uh, director would do, uh, put in a number of extremely rude, uh, rude and, and really unnecessary scenes into the film. Uh, which means that, let's say you or I are watching this film because we want to learn about the Holocaust, because we want to learn about the fate of the Jews of Krakow, uh, and uh, we're interested in the subject, uh, and Piton, this scene comes up. Oh, you cover your eyes, there, but you see the scene. Now you understand, you see the scene, it's in your mind, and it's in your mind forever. It's like a hard disk, if you'll forgive me for bringing you examples from... Uh, from a world that you know much better than I. It's on your hard disk. You can't delete it. Not now and not forever. It's there. Uh, you can't get rid of it. It's the same when you hear a song and, uh, and that song, you're, again, you're not listening to the song because you like rude words or because you like the, the, uh, the uh, suggestions of the song. You like the music. You like the sound of the music. That's why most of us listen to music. But there are words to the song. And those words go into your mind. And now we penetrate them into our minds by putting these, uh, these pods into our ears uh, so to make sure that the words go s- directly into our soul. And so you, you've got these words and you've got these pictures and then you're meant to have tarata makshava. How are we meant to do this? 
Uh, and, and, you know, when you go back to the Pashat Jew of 150, 200 years ago, uh, the, the, the challenge from that degree was a lot less. They were exposed a lot less to, to things that their soul didn't need to be exposed to. It doesn't make you more educated to be exposed to these things. Anyone who's told you that is, has lost the battle with their Yetzirah. You, 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 you don't become more educated because you watch pornographic scenes in a movie or because you, you hear songs that have rude words in them. It doesn't make you more educated. It doesn't make you better than other people. Uh, the world was quite educated and quite cultured before these media existed. And anyone who argues that has simply, is simply rationalizing away uh, a problem that needs to be dealt with. And, um, and this is a problem that we have. Right. One of the reasons, as I told you last week, that I, I, it took me a day to do, but I just deleted my Facebook account. I, I was just on Facebook checking something, and something came up. I thought, my God, I, I shouldn't be seeing this. You know, a married man, I shouldn't be seeing this stuff. This shouldn't be going into my mind. And, and once you've seen it, it's just too late. It's too late once you've seen it. If only we understood this when our children were younger and, uh, and before we put them in front of a television, uh, because they didn't want to sit in front of the television. We put them in front of the television because we had other better things to do. Uh, they wanted to play on their bike. They wanted to, uh, I don't know, paint paintings or pull plugs off the wall or they, they'll break your china. They, they, lots of other things your children wanted to do. The last thing they want to do is sit still uh, and look at a screen. They want to live life. They don't want to watch other people living life. It's just a mistake that we make. And uh, the minute they start taking this stuff in, we are staining their souls and making it as hard as it is for us, for them, when they try to have purity of thought later on in life. Um, so that was our subject today. Uh, tomorrow where we need to progress is to how do we, how do we possess this tahara? How, how are we able to acquire this purity of soul, this purity of thought? Uh, I think this needs, this needs your attention, it needs my attention. The, the idea... Of, 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 of what we're thinking, paying attention to what we're thinking uh, and, and trying to work out where it comes from and, and, and maybe considering, even if you don't want to agree with what I suggested, that if you actually want to know who you are, it, it's not by what you're doing and not by what you're saying, but it's by what you're thinking because, because that, that, is, that is the real you, that is the immediate you. Uh, something to ponder on for today. Have a good day.